I've got a goofy award for you today. I hope you stay with me for that one. One of the most troubling trends that I see in the English-speaking world is the real curtailment of free speech. Oh, we pay lip service to it, but my goodness, if you have a politically incorrect view or a view that runs against the progressive elites, uh, God help you on that one. And it brings me to my quote of the week, Frederick Nietzsche famed philosopher, in quotes, the surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently, end of quote. The surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those that who think those who think alike than those who think differently. This is absolutely what we are doing in our public education system. You better think alike on the standardized uh, progressive elites sort of dogma. And uh, whether you agree with some of that or all of that dogma, it's the trend. It's what that underlines that I think is very disconcerting. I am very pleased to welcome back to the show right now Jack Crooks, Black Swan Trading, uh, one of my favorite analysts, uh, top currency trader. Jack, thanks for finding time for us. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm Well, I've been better, so we can't go into that because we don't have two days. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let me just start with this. Uh, you know, it's very interesting to watch the rally in oil this past few weeks, uh, the rally in gold. Uh, copper's been on part of that, natural gas even to some degree. And the, the challenge I always find is, hey, that there, there should have been a correction. I mean, my goodness, that relentless downtrend in oil, for example, bringing us down to that $26 range. At some point, there's always a counter trend rally. But the challenge is to know whether that's, you know, just a correction to that downtrend or have we actually begun something major in the opposite direction? How do you handle that sort of challenge? Uh, it's a tough one, and it's a tough one, especially given uh, the shape of the world at the moment. You know, the, the problem is, you know, demand is just uh, non-existent to a large degree out there. You know, global trade has fallen, as we know. Um, so it's, it's hard to predict anything like this on the fundamentals. Um, that's for sure. But what yeah. was interesting, we, we saw a similar mentality reversed when oil was at, you know, 147 or whatever. You know, we had the peak oil guys coming out and saying 200 a lock and it's never going to go below $100 again in our lifetime. So things happen and, you know, and that surprise people and, and prices tend to lead, uh, lead the fundamentals. Um, and that's why I think technical analysis provides some, some benefit. Um, but to more specifically to answer your question, I'm still of the opinion that this is a bounce, um, and it could be a pretty big bounce. It could be a multi-week, multi-month bounce, uh, given the fact that China has decided to uh, provide more stimulus. I think that was the key. Um, obviously, the other central banks' uh, cutting rates helped, but the fact that China made the decision to go back to its you know, investment infrastructure model because they're a little bit of desperation on the unemployment side, I think suggests that they're willing to risk even you know more problems uh, you know later on um, and uh, and stimulate again now even though it's going to lead to again just more massive uh, malinvestment and overcapacities. So I so I do think this has some legs um, and, and will fool some people in this this rally. Um, it'll go further I think than people think, but I don't think it's uh, any more than a big big correction. Uh, you know it's interesting. One of the things that you just said there, I just want to emphasize. 
uh, you know, for people that when you get into a trend, it doesn't matter if it's really a strong up move, as you said, like when oil went to 147 or whatever it does, or when something drops, the tendency is that mass psychology creates the peak, at least at that period, by never seeing an alternative. You know, I mean, I guess maybe exactly. the biggest one in the last several years had to be the subprime mortgage uh, bursting because the people who were putting on those mortgages couldn't imagine a serious decline in real estate. Long-term capital management did the same thing, I think, in 1998. But it's it's really the psychology. We may be living that, by the way, right now in Vancouver, Jack. You can't believe the upper end of the real estate market literally is gaining 20% year over year. Uh, you know, and again, uh, you can always, feel, as you say, you know, the fundamental reasons are easy to supply. But, of course, that doesn't help you with the timing. But I think it's a very important key to understand about markets that, and people's psychology when they approach them. No, and you're right. And what you said in there is, you know, people just tend to trend on one story, one scenario. And, yeah. uh, and I think one of the keys to keep yourself out of too much trouble is really force yourself to develop plausible alternative scenario. And the alternative scenario to what I just said is, hey, maybe something is happening in China and we do see a big shift in cons- you know, to the consumer market and we see some type of uh, Asian consumer boom and that changes the dynamics globally in a big way. And, you know, and, and maybe what the ECB did to force uh, money, you know, try and force money into the real economy, maybe that starts to take hold. So there, so there, is, a, there is a scenario out there that makes sense. You have to trade on your primary view, which you think is the strongest one, but you got to develop another one, I think, to keep yourself out of trouble. Uh, again, I, I think that's wonderful advice and, and very contrary to what I just opened up with with my quote of the week with Nietzsche. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, it's quite something actually at that, that, uh, you know, we, we, we in fact are not training that. We're not training people to look for alternative views. It's, it's so advocacy driven in everything. And as you've just uh, alluded to, you know, that approach can really get you killed in different investment markets where there's a very clear scorecard. Uh, no doubt, I, I heard that. I heard that opening, and then it was right on the money. <laughs> my, my, my sentiments exactly. Um, okay, so let's come back. Let's come to the currencies. Obviously, at Black Swan Trading, uh, which you can find Jack at BlackSwanTrading.com. Black Swan Trading does a ton, uh, obviously, in currencies. And let's talk U.S. dollar for a second, because I'm still of the view that if I could figure out what the heck the U.S. dollar is doing, I'm going to get a pretty good look at a whole bunch of other markets. Obviously, the loony, you know, for us. But I mean, it's going to, you know, like oil. If it's going to have a really sustained move, I don't think it can do it against the backdrop of a. Uh, of a higher U.S. dollar. And again, the U.S. dollar is a great example of it was just due for a counter trend move. It was due to sort of slow down for a while. My goodness, you know, um, and I'm, I'm still of this sort of camp that says, I think the strength in the U.S. dollar, the bull, the broad bull move isn't over yet. I agree. I agree. And one of the problems we're having in terms of following the U.S. dollar is most people look at the U.S. dollar index which is made up of six different currencies. And the problem is we're, we're seeing two baskets play out. We're seeing the Japanese yen and the euro move generally moving in the same direction, and they represent the bulk of the U.S. in terms of the index, the percentage of the index. But you're seeing the commodity currencies and the, and the British pound in general trade with the commodity currencies. So part of the pack is, is moving up while the other part of the pack is moving down. And you have this this big range being developed in the U.S. dollar index, so it's hard to make an evaluation at this point using the index. But ultimately, I think uh, you know once we get through this choppiness, once we get through a potential commodity rally in here, uh, ultimately, I do think because um, uh, again, the pr- primary scenario demand is just not there. 
um, I think ultimately you're going to see pressure uh, pressure come back on these uh, commodity currencies and, and emerging markets after a, maybe possibly a decent rally in here. Um, and, and if that's the case, I agree. Uh, U.S. dollar goes higher, and I think breaks down, um, you know, to the top side, uh, you know, in, in a pretty big way because we've talked about and I'm sure you have uh, talked about the massive amount of uh, U.S. dollar-denominated debt out there still in emerging markets that hasn't come yeah. home to roost. Um, and with a nice little bounce here, everybody should get you know fat, dumb, and happy again and, and not be con- too concerned about that. But again, if demand does not, does not come around with everything the central banks are doing and China's new stimulus, then I think, um, I think that's when uh, you know, Katie bar the door, and I do think the dollar breaks out into a, in a very big way. Yeah, so many key things you're saying there, but because I think it is, as I just alluded to, I think it's essential to understand uh, what's going on. And I just come back very quickly yesterday uh, in Europe, where we go to another level of uh, negative interest rate. We go to another, you know, level of quantitative easing. This time, though, they're also buying, you know, commercial paper. They're buying company debt, in other words, not just government debt. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I just see these as top gap, gap, stop gap measures. It has not worked yet. I don't think this is going to revive Europe, and it may just provide me. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth for a second. I, I'm looking for a case to play that euro to go down. I've done very well with that over the last three years. That broad trend saying Europe is coming apart, uh, and I'm looking for another entry point. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, the euro has been acting very, very well. The more risk that, you know, has been facing the European Union, the more, the better the euro has acted. Um, and yesterday's action, or excuse me, Thursday's action by the European Central Bank reduced a lot of the relative risk, at least from a market standpoint. This, all the risk spreads came down back, back into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, interestingly, the euro rallied on that, which isn't, hasn't been the correlation. I don't know if that makes too much sense. But I do think uh, we are going to see uh, the euro uh, come down in here. Now, if we have another big risk environment, the euro may get supported because you're going to see a lot of people, you know, removing hedges and things like this. But ultimately, I think this game of the euro rallying on internal risk, meaning the European banks delever, European local investors stop investing outside, I think the risk is finally going to start coming back into the euro this year in a very big way. And and I said at the beginning of the year, I think at some point we are going to see par uh, in euro. So I do believe or agree with you. I just think we're going to get some choppiness again for the next uh, next several months, although I think euro is going to work down into the lower end of its range, maybe 105, but could get choppy again. Um, but I do think once we get past this period, what we just talked about, if demand does not uh, come come out in the world at some point here uh, in the third quarter, um, I do think then the euro is really going to finally, um, you know, finally just go to par and and real concern about a breakup is is, is going to be back in the news you know it's it, just again for everyone listening this is an area of the market it's so easy to play now thanks to exchange traded funds you can also do it obviously and it is mo- way more straightforward than you might think in the futures market and again you don't have to leverage much or anything but to, you know the currencies provide such an opportunity uh, one of the main recommendations jack on this show I think it's since October 2012, was to take a good chunk, like a third of your portfolio, and then I moved more than that, into U.S. dollars, if you're a Canadian, I'm saying. And I just think this is a side of the market that people cannot afford to ignore. There's too much opportunity. And uh, that's why I I love Black Swan uh, analysis, blackswantrading.com, but you've got the Forex uh, daily kind of update on this, always uh, 
a new thing. You've got a brand new service called Key Market Update, and it's only $89 a year, for goodness sakes, and you get two issues a week. And uh, that's the stuff way to keep up with your stocks, your bonds, gold, oil, U.S. dollars. Uh, Jack didn't ask me to talk about this, but I am talking about it because I think this is a great opportunity. Uh, and all you have to do is go to blackswantrading.com. I got Jack Crooks on the line. We just talked about the euro and maybe some opportunity there. I'm going to throw another currency at him, the yen, because, again, I'm looking for ideas or opportunities where you can make these long-term moves, very much like the Canadian dollar, the Aussie dollar. Maybe we're more comfortable or understanding of those. But, there, you know, this huge volatility you can profit from. And I'm not saying it's easy. You've got to have your theme. And my theme is that Europe's in real trouble. So there you go. Jack Crook's my guest. You're listening on the Money Talks Network right here. Got a goofy award for you today. I'm not sure how many people this will upset or not. I think people who have those political pretentiousness, I think they won't like it. But the rest of us will. That's coming up uh, before the top of the hour. Victor Adair will also join me live from the trading desk right now. Really pleased to have back on the show with me, Black Swan Trading's Jack Crooks. Jack, before the break, we were talking about maybe a potential opportunity in the euro. We want to watch the action a little more. I'd love it to see it rally a little bit more. But ultimately, you know, I think we both agree it's it's headed to par against the U.S. dollar. And, uh, you know, the old was the old low 80 or 88, something like that anyway. So there's money to be made on that one. I want to ask you just very quickly, you know, a minute or two on the yen. I see a similar opportunity building there. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I think the yen, the yen, because it, it moves very similar to the euro. They've, they've been in pretty close correlation. Oh, as you said, yeah, right, yeah. And, and yeah. risk, again, has been the key. And if you just look at the, at the Nikkei, uh, the Japanese stock market, main stock market, and just you know compare the Japanese yen to it, it, it trades pretty close to it, which means that if, the, if risk is in the market, meaning the, the Nikkei goes down, uh, the yen tends to strengthen. So it goes counter to, you know, it's a perverse currency. So if we get a rally in commodities and, and more juice from China and, uh, and everybody gets happy again and we see another big rally in the Nikkei, at least I think we're going to see more of that. I do think the yen's going to weaken in here um, and create an opportunity that if stuff does hit the fan again, that's then I think the yen's going to strengthen tremendously. Um, you know what's incredibly I, difficult is how fast things move in terms of, I, I just have this feeling like, you know, when you're trying to solve an overall debt crisis by adding more debt, by encouraging more borrowing, we're hurting savers over here. You're not seeing some pickup in productivity or, you know, underlying economic strength the, the old-fashioned way. And, in fact, you've got this mix of zero interest rates, in Canada's case, super low currency, uh, you know, cheap energy costs, the cheapest we've had, you know, in years. All of these things should have translated to a heck of a lot higher levels of economic growth. They have not. And uh, I, I, I think that's worrisome. And I, I always feel like, Jack, I'm going to wake up the next morning and all hell's going to have broken loose. There's not going to have been a lot of warning. No, you do, because you, you, you look out and you know we're in never-never land in terms of economics. <laughs> the text, textbooks have never covered this. You know, as you said, the debt just keeps getting worse and worse, and it suppresses cash flows, meaning, you know, business just can't be profitable in these, in these debt levels, um, ultimately. So you just wonder how long they can keep all the balls in the air. <clears throat> and yeah. amazingly, they do. And for some reason, they, they do. Um, uh, but uh, it is always in the back of your mind. Uh, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, it just takes longer than we think, you know, and, and now we're in <clears throat> NERP you know negative interest rate policy it's uh it's uh you know and, and they're keeping the balls in the air again but 
it's the lead. You know, I, I refer to it as so what. So as you said, the ECB did all this. So what? It doesn't matter. Um, if businesses don't have prospects, they're not going to take the money. If 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 the ECB buys corporate bonds of companies that are already strong, so what? They didn't really need it anyway. Um, if 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 the consumer's worried about the future and is over leveraged, he's not going to take the money. So it just doesn't matter. Um, things have to change change structurally. We know who takes the money, don't we? The hedge funds. And, and guys that don't necessarily need it, and they pump it into legacy assets. Legacy assets meaning real estate that doesn't provide real value, doesn't provide innovation and growth uh, and real jobs. And, of course, then it, the other part of that goes into financial assets, which, again, doesn't provide real growth or jobs. Finance doesn't do that. Finance is supposed to facilitate real growth, not be a growth industry in and of itself. It's not. Um, so it, it's a big, big problem, and it has to be a major structural change. They have to walk away. They have to wash away these legacy assets and let the, you know, and, and it's not easy. It's politically probably unviable, and that's why we keep doing this. Uh, you've only got a minute left there. Is there a, a position right now that you're more comfortable with on the market, uh, something that we could just have a look at, or or, or, or is it sideline time kind of? Yeah, I, I think playing some of these commodities, you know, for a rally in here, you know, again, because of what China did, um, you know, on a multi-week basis, uh, yeah. you know, is, is, is a good play. You know, copper looks like it's bottom. Natural gas, as you said, looks like it's bottom. I think oil could possibly go back to 50. Um, so I do like that. I like that. I like the commodity currencies. If they could just, you know, correct, they run a long way. But if they can correct a little bit in here, um, I think, um, you know, they, they can go higher. I think the Australian dollar can, can fool on the upside. And, you know, I've missed a lot of that move. Um, but ultimately, in the back of my mind is what you said. You don't want to be too exposed when you know that um, what they're doing is not working overall for the real economy. Yeah. And as I say, especially when it's a predictable rally in terms of, you know, I mean, as I say, I'm going because, you know, Canadians watch that oil price so closely. But, you know, come on, it bounces back down to that 26. And I'm going, hey, of course it's got to recover. I mean, you've got short covering alone is going to push it up. So in the end. You know, I, I still am suspicious at the same time. Jack, I want to invite people to go to back BlackSwanTrading.com, but check out the Forex side, Black Swan uh, Forex. It's only $89 a year, covers all these markets. Jack, wonderful to chat with you again. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. BlackSwanTrading.com. I'll take a break. Shocking stat of the week up next. One of the things I mentioned about how you can survive this kind of period and this period of incredible tumultuous change is you got to pay attention. Now, you're listening to this show, and I'm really appreciative of that. But we got to get Canadians to pay attention and to use their thinking capacity here. And that brings me to my shocking stat, because there's a massive group of Canadians who think that things like 2 plus 2 equals 4 is the work of the devil. It's part of some sort of right-wing agenda. The math, the facts expose, I think, too regularly for them, the unworkability of their agenda. It's not all sunny talk. By the way, we're seeing this right now. We've got a lot of new talk coming up about a guaranteed income. You know, fine, but I haven't seen a single realistic study about the cost of that. I mean, a simple math uh, multiplication, rather. How many people times the amount you want to pay out? Because I think if they did that, they would instantly see that it's not workable. So... They don't do the calculation. Same thing with anything that they want government involved with. I say fine, but are you looking at how much it costs? Where will the money come from? See, math is such a bitch. And that brings me to my shocking stat. Unfunded pension liabilities. 
That is that they have promised to pay out certain amounts monthly in a pension, and they don't have the money set aside. That's an unfunded pension liability. Well, they're going to supersede debt as the government's biggest financial headache. I know we're talking about debt. It's going to be the pension liabilities. Is that a prediction? No. I just looked at the math. A case in point, latest numbers out of the U.S. Census Bureau. The pension obligations for the six largest pension systems in California came to $613 billion in 2013, the latest numbers. Of course, this is only a portion. Uh, you know, I mean, only a bit of that liability is covered by the pension's assets. The rest is unfunded. Estimate somewhere around $150 billion short of what retirees are expecting to live off. A number you should me- uh, memorize in Canada. According to the C.D. Howe Institute, this is the firm that our finance minister, Bill Morneau, was the chairman of. So how does he dismiss that? Well, we, they estimate that our unfunded pension liability at the public sector level, this is federal, is $244 billion. We're short that much money for the promises we've made. And this is after the bull market. You know what the political trick has been, by the way, and you've seen this in California. It's resulted in the bankruptcy of Detroit. Uh, Puerto Rico, Stockton. I mean, this isn't something I'm talking pie in the sky. The big, re- the biggest problem is actually going to be at the municipal and the state-slash-provincial level in Europe and in here. See, here's the political trip, trick. They estimate higher rates of return and a shorter life expectancy for retirees. So in California, they're estimating 8%. It's not realistic. But they do it so they don't have to ante up the money. Like if you say, hey, don't worry, it's compounding at 8%. What if it was compounding at 4 It means the government's got to put in more cash at that time. That's why they did it. Uh, it's, it's an amazing story. And as I say, I'm telling you, the pension failures are going to be, and the unfunded law obligations are going to be a bigger story than the debt. You wait. It's coming up. It's unworkable in so many jurisdictions. Already has been in some. The technical term, I think, is they're screwed. That's my shocking stat for the week. Stay with me. Hey, if you've been thinking about buying like an investment property, like an apartment, uh, something like that, condo, I got a couple of things with Aussie Jurek that they sound straightforward, but they're going to lower the value of your property. So think before you buy. There's things to be aware of. Victor Dares joining me live from the trading desk, and I got a goofy. You're listening to Money Talks on the Money Talks Network. You know, if you go to moneytalks.net, I just want to remind you, there's tons of great information and it's free and you can sign up to get our free What Mike's Reading and other email service there. It's free, (laughs) you know, so I think you can afford it. Ozzy Jurek joins me right now on the line. Hey, Ozzy, this is a beauty. Sometimes I get to ask you questions or things that I've come across in, you know, personally. And I know I have a tendency, you know, I sort of say, hey, I'm looking for yield. As you know, I like, you know, certain types, uh, you know, the real estate market in some areas. And I'll go out and I won't be diligent enough in a couple of areas. And that's what what spurred my questions here today. And I'll give you an example. You know, I I sometimes I don't look what I don't bother to check whether, you know, it's a tenant run building or an owner run building. You know, who's who's doing the stuff. And, And I know and I realized, you know, I remember you telling me that a lot of times the tenant run building is better for me to buy into because they care more about it in the short term. 
Well, the, the, the thing is this, that a lot of condo owners believe that if we just stay all owners and we keep tenants out of our building, then they're somehow better off. And it's been my experience that in Vancouver we have strata councils that are fighting like cats and dogs because the owners that live there can be picky. They know each other over time or code each other to dislike yourself, themselves. And uh, they don't let, some of them want to sell next year, so they will not vote on the necessary repairs. And they all have a big surprise when they get a depreciation report that needs a million dollars spent or something like that. But the big thing that that is uh, that is really important for investors, maybe like yourself, when you're looking around, has the Strata Council voted to keep out tenants? And when they vote to keep out tenants, that means that you can no longer rent it out. So you can use it yourself or your family, but that's it. And there goes your investment down the drain. Yeah, an important part. I mean, it's obviously less attractive. Uh, you've, you've sort of limited that buyer's pool when you say st- when you do stuff like that. And presto, uh, you know, I mean, one example, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, maybe somebody from the States uh, wants to come up and use it or someone from Saskatchewan wants to come and use uh, out in the West Coast, better weather, you know, use it for a couple of months, but they want the opportunity to rent it out at least a bit or, you know, uh, and, and they won't be able to do it so they don't pay as much. Well, that's right. In fact, we have two examples. Last year, we had a member in our club in Westminster. You had a, a condominium that they owned for a while in Westminster for and it was worth around 190000 In fact, they had an appraisal on it. They couldn't sell it for six months because while it was a reasonably nice unit, there was no buyers could be found that wanted to live there because the restrictions was on rental. Another one in the very active Coquitlam market wouldn't sell because there, there were no tenants allowed and the, the investors that were plentiful would have paid $300,000 for that particular unit. But they wouldn't because they can't rent it. Remember that if you have 40% of the market right now being investors, that number you take out of your buyer pool, and therefore you have a, a better chance or less of a chance to sell it. And it's all based on the assumption that for some reason a building full of tenants is worse than a building full of owner-occupied. And I find that a well-run tenant building, like by a professional management company, there's less problems because these are the rules. You don't obey, we kick you out. With the owners, it's not so easy to kick them out if they don't obey the rules. Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me just come very quickly then to property managers because that's the other thing. Maybe if you just bought one piece of property and you're going to visit it on a regular basis, you know, that kind of stuff. But if, you're, if you need a property manager, can you give me the two or three things that you expect them to do, which in turn tells you they're a good one or not? That's such a good point because really treat your rental like a business in Vancouver now so often a suite rents for two, three thousand a month. Well, that's a thirty-six thousand dollar income. Treat it like a business income. And you want to ask the property management company, how many doors do you manage? Is it like two thousand doors that you manage and you have how many people managing it? You know, right. what is your criteria? Do you get a, a credit check on the tenants? Will that information be shared with me? Uh, how many uh, how many visits do you make to the property? Who is actually the manager that makes the inspection? They should inspect the property every three months on a regular basis. And you want to find out how the billing works, who pays for the expenses. And by the way, does the property management company also like magic? Have a repair and maintenance company, right? That they that they the necessary repairs do. But most professionally run property management companies do very well in those tenant occupied buildings. And uh, so, uh, take a good hard look at that when you buy a rental property. And 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 when you are buying one, but you've really got to have up front. And I'm just again talking personally. You got to figure out who's going to be the property manager. You know, I, I'm just 100%. bringing that 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 sort of 
issue up front. I've got you know, much more limited uh, experience than you do, Ozzy, but I do have some nightmare stories. A uh, dear friend of mine had a property manager. Turns out, bottom line, he never, basically, ne- was out of town, never visited the property, and there was a grow up there. And you can tell, you know, the guy lost a ton of money, but the property manager who was supposed to visit every month didn't. And uh, so it's, it just reminded me how important this is. So uh, what about right. some you hot should, properties? Oh, sorry, go ahead. You should get a report from them every month. This yeah. is what we went. That's the time when we went, went there, and that's what we found out. Very important. Yeah. How about a hot property? Well, I was in Quenelle this uh, last two days with the fine northern uh, British Columbia real estate board. And I tell you, that's kind of interesting. The market there is as diverse as they come from Port St. John to Port St. George and so on. And it's been tougher. But uh, for the investor in Quenelle, there are some amazing uh, properties. We found a log rancher with four bedrooms, two bathrooms on a 10-acre parcel, a 20 by 40 foot heated barn and double garage for $280,000. <laughs> and a large wow. five-bedroom home with two baths and open design, $169,900. And for the real small pocket of a starter bedroom home with a basement suite, new siding, 425 Only in Quenelle, eh? <laughs> there you go. Hey, and by the way, with all the hot properties, you just go to juruk.com, click on the hot property button. These are things that uh, you obviously are going to check out yourself, make sure it's appropriate, but stuff that grabbed uh, Ozzy's uh, eye. I mean, come on, 10-acre ranch? Are you kidding? With a barn, four-bedroom, two-bath, double garage, 280? There you go. Or you could buy a bathroom in Yaletown in Vancouver. Ozzy, thanks <laughs> yeah. very much for taking the time. Have a great weekend. And you too, Mike, and your listeners. Great stuff. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I got a goofy award, but I'm going live to the trading desk. I wonder what Victor Adair has made all the act of this action this week. I'll find out what he's been doing in just a moment across the Money Talks Network. Let's go live to the trading desk. Victor Adair joins me right now. Vic, again, it is interesting. Eh, in the last several years, you know, ten years ago, they pro- people maybe knew Alan Greenspan's name as a central banker. And, and, you know, slowly they've moved up to be the all-stars. I mean, they've had to fill the void that politicians with pathetic economic policies around the world have sort of shown us, and we're living those repercussions. But every week you got to check out what a central bank's doing. Well, and, and there's so many of them. I mean, just this past week, Michael, we had the bank, Central Bank of New Zealand, Canada, and the European Central Bank all uh, come out and the markets are waiting, you know, on, with breathless uh, anticipation as to what they're going to do. Next week, we've got the uh, Bank of Japan, the Federal Reserve, and the Bank of England. And then, of course, all the time, you know, where everybody's wondering, well, what's the People's Bank of China doing? The extreme short-term volatility that we've got in the financial markets, I think, is at least in part a reaction to these perceptions and worries and whatnot about what central banks are going to do. You know, I've said on the show so many times, what are we trading? We're trading the anticipation of a central bank policy, and, and that continues. I was listening to Jack and your interview there, and I really very much agree with Jack. It feels to me as though the markets right now are like churning. They're very choppy, short-term volatility, and it would, to my mind, that is, is symptomatic, perhaps, uh, of, a, of a change in trend, but uh, also, obviously, uh, just uh, an expression of uncertainty as to what's going on. And, and you know, as because of the violent move either direction, but in this case, we're talking about the violent move down, oil, Canadian dollar, uh, you know, gold, you know, all of the, I mean, copper, 
natural gas had all been experiencing this sharp downward move. So I'm always expecting the rebound from that, the, the corrective rally from that is going to be equally sharp. And I think obviously that's what we've been saying, seeing rather. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the key, if I could give you an answer and give our listeners an answer, what they'd like to know is, well, is this rally we've had in crude oil, is that just a correction or uh, is this the, the turn and we're going back to 100 bucks? That's okay. the kind of ins- insightful question I ask all the time, by the way. Yeah, okay, so I don't know. <laughs> what I do know is that the crude oil price, WTI, has rallied 50% in the last month. How do you like them apples? I mean, that's pretty good. Canadian dollars up 12% from you know the lows that we hit back in January. We've had some big moves in a lot of markets, and yet when I look at the commodity indices going back to, say, to 2011 or so, the rallies that we've had here the last month and change are tiny compared to the huge sweep we've had to the downside. So let me just get to, cut to the chase. I don't want to run out of time. Yeah. What are you doing in this market? What what is how does you approach it then? How does how do yeah, you? So what what I've done it was a month ago. I put some spreads on in crude oil. It was kind of a, a gentle way to anticipate maybe the decline was going to have a bounce. I took those off this week. In other words, I think this run we've had in crude oil for the last month has gone far enough, and I'm on the sidelines as far as crude is concerned. I've got out of the money puts in Japanese yen and in gold. I think both those markets ran up too far too fast and will correct lower. I do not have a position in Canadian dollars. If anything, I'm looking for this rally to peter out and I'd get short again. And the same thing with the euro currency. No currency, no current position, but I'd be looking for an opportunity to get short the euro. And what an opportunity looks like, quite simply, is the rally get, looks like it's a little long in the tooth, going to run out of steam, and then I'll start start to put a position on. If I'm right in the euro or the Canada starts to fall, I'll add to that trade. Good stuff as always, Victor. Uh, have a terrific weekend. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk my with thanks, you. My thanks to Victor Dare, Ozzy Jurek, Jack Crooks, uh, Robert uh, Levy, Jason Ayers. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment. Uh, no fees attached to this one. It's in the rather in the technology business, so just go to SoleraClub.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. Hey, i got to admit, some of my BS is that I hate the self-congratulatory rhetoric of the progressive left. I mean, it gets to me. I didn't like those people in high school. And there's nothing that drives them more crazy, by the way, and full of venom than to have me point that out. Like when Prime Minister Trudeau, painful declaration in Paris, you know, Canada's back, simply because the Liberals in power, blech. But I think he believes that with every cell in his body here. I've got other stuff, but I've got to get right to the Goofy Award. It happened this week where President, or rather, Prime Minister is down there in Washington. He cannot help himself. He's got to wave the scolding finger, you know, because U.S. politics has too much influence by big money. Now, I agree. I think it's Democrats and Republicans. But to suggest it doesn't happen in Canada the same week that you pay $6,000 to attend an intimate cocktail reception with Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne, an event co-sponsored by the lobbying firm Sussex Strategy Group. This is on the heels of people paying $9,975 to attend a dinner at the Fairmont Royal York Hotel with Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. The Ontario Conservatives aren't in power, so it doesn't cost as much, only five grand to meet their leader, Patrick Brown, Ontario leader, at the legislature. Come on. 
99% of Canadians can't afford this. Right now, Bombardier is using its political connections to lobby the Trudeau government for a billion. They've already been successful 82 other times, including on the heels of $1.3 billion from Quebec. Uh, do you really think there's a small or mid-sized business in this country who can get an audience? 2008, not a dime for any Western companies. But when the Canadian auto workers got together with the heavyweights of GM and Chrysler, hey, they got over $13 billion in tax dollars. You don't think there's a pundit in the country that doesn't recognize that big money from organized labor played a major role in Ontario Liberals' re-election. The point? To suggest that big money doesn't influence Canadian politics? Come on, it's delusional or it's nonsense. Either one, it gets my goofy. Hey, remember to go to moneytalks.net, and thanks. Have a terrific weekend.